The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy you're here. I'm Sandy Scarlatta. I was born in Virginia Beach and raised in the Baltimore Annapolis area and had very humble and tragic beginnings. And as a result, my life was a hot mess. Thankfully, 33 years ago, I got my act together. And since that time, I have dedicated my life to serving others and raising awareness that no matter what you've been through, you can choose happiness and live the life of your dreams. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging. And my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a choice, and the choice is yours. Today's episode is amazing, and I am so grateful for you. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to leave a review and follow me on social media at Coach Sandy Scarlatta. Enjoy the show. Christopher Lee Maher. Such a pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You know, we talked a little bit before you hit the record button. And I want to say again that the world needs people like you doing what you're doing. Bringing people on like me that can share things they're passionate about that we know are useful and are potent, powerful resources for change. So thank you. Yes, thank you. So you are the founder of True Body Intelligence, and we're going to talk about that. I'm looking at your website on my phone here, and I love that you say, just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, have I've done, a, I've you've got a great story. Yeah, you have a really great story about that when you were um, a Navy SEAL. And thank you so much for your service because that truly is just, talk about survival of the fittest (laughs) with the SEALs, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. Well, they're definitely going to stretch you. You're going to figure out who you are when you go through that program and you're going to come out on the other side, if you choose to stay the course, knowing and understanding what it is to be part of something special, to value teamwork, resilience, um, and self-empowerment. You know, when I walked across the stage and I um, picked up my diploma I knew I had been through a rite of passage 
And I think that this is something that's missing in the world, right? Like a highly defined rite of passage. And I knew what? I knew that I would be able to accomplish and experience anything that I put my mind to. And that was powerful because imagine moving through the world, knowing deep in your bones that you can accomplish anything you want, whether that's a particular type of education, whether that's something, something you want to do with your body that's very intense or extreme or how spiritually focused you want to be or how emotionally developed you want to be. I mean, it has been an enormous benefit oh, in all yeah. ways. Well, for sure. And while I didn't go through the Navy, Navy SEAL program, obviously, um, I have been an elite athlete my entire life. And even though like I had reached certain levels, um, I was a competitive figure skater and ended up becoming a, a U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I got my gold medal in ice dancing. And that was really, really great. But what you're talking about, I experienced by completing the Marine Corps Marathon. Yeah. Because it was something that was so difficult. Um, before I started training for it, I had never run more than three miles. Mm. And I did it, you know, a friend of mine pulled me into this running group and I'm like, I ran three miles and I go, I'm not going to run four miles next week. And she goes, yes, you are. I'm like, I don't think so. Next thing you know, I was running 15 miles completed the Marine Corps marathon with all of my goals that I had set out for myself. Mm. And it's when you do really hard things like that, you can always pull from it. So I, while I, it's not nearly the same level of what you went through. I understand at a, at a smaller scale, what you're talking about, because when you said out, especially when it, when in your, because as you, and you talk about this on your page, you know, it's, it, it's like a professional athlete when you're training that hard. Yeah. You know, as a Navy SEAL, you're, oh, you're yeah. it's just like a professional athlete, the, the way the, yeah. the intense training is. And the thing is, is that when you're using your physical and your mental, because it takes both, you really do have that resilience inside of you. Like, yeah, I can accomplish anything. Uh, I love that. Yeah, you so, know, it's funny that you say that because I, I went to a uh, uh, semi- uh, and professional sports camp in Del Mar, California. And okay. this is after I got out of the SEAL teams. And, you know, there's a lot of very powerful athletes there that are have big contracts and making a lot of money. And when it came down to like getting down during the workout, I mean, they couldn't hold a finger to anything that I was doing. I was able, I every day I just did circles around those guys. Wow. And I looked and I thought, wow, these guys really don't know what it is to really push the envelope. Yeah. And the SEAL teams gives you that confidence. The challenge is that there was a cost. And the cost for that confidence was I was receiving and storing stress faster than I could dismantle it and so I began to continue to accumulate day after day after day after day and do that you know six seven years in a row 
And then I decided I wanted to train for the Olympic trials. And now I'm doing that to myself. Put your body under that kind of strain for eight, nine, 10 years. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start to fall apart. And it's not going to make any sense to you. Because for me, I never really had pain in my body as an athlete. I had a little bit of pain during SEAL training. Some joint stuff to deal with. When you wake up every morning in excruciating joint pain, and the only mindset that you have is push harder, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I was ignoring what my body was telling me so that I could keep up with what my mind wanted. And the more I ignored, the more my body pushed back. And so the more I ignored, till it got to the point where I got in a car accident and the pain drove into the center of my head. And then I could never get away from it, ever get away from it, no matter what was going. As soon as I opened my eyes in the morning, I could feel the throbbing. And I was one of these guys that after I got out of the SEAL team, I was done using ibuprofen. And I said, I'll never mask my pain. I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll, I'll never mask it. And then it shifted from joints into me losing the function of my sense organs. So my vision started, well, first thing was my hearing. My hearing was collapsing. My vision was collapsing. I needed a full-blown hip replacement. I was losing massive amounts of sleep because I was getting up every night to urinate, sometimes three, four, sometimes six times. And yet I still had this intense workload during the day. I ran my own business, going to school full-time, training for the Olympic trials, and spending all my free time generating more resources. And so there was very little time off and I was doing this all under an intense amount of strain and pain and discomfort and stiffness. And that created a lot of frustration for me. I remember going to a race, performing poorly, coming home and crying, you know, getting on my knees, praying and going, look, I don't get it. I'm working hard. I'm putting in the energy. I'm putting in the effort. I'm doing the right things. I'm eating good food. I got great coaches. I'm part of a good team. How could this possibly be? And that went on until one day I decided to reach out and ask for help. And then and I was sitting in the kitchen with one of my buddies named Jeff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he brought a juicer to my house and he made a juice carrot apple spinach parsley yuck right for him he just he, he was enjoying it yeah and i was fighting my way through it and at that moment i looked at him and i realized oh he's fit and healthy i'm fit and toxic and that was a difficult pill to swallow. Yeah. 
because I thought I was doing the right things. Obviously, I was doing the wrong things. So when you say you reached out for help, did you just call your friend or or did you yep. like, okay, so he yep. was the person that you reached out he to? Was a, yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up, I went to a boarding school for 10 years. And when your strategy to deal with loneliness or abandonment or um, anger or confusion is stoicism, then reaching out is very difficult because mm -hmm. stoicism is, is, was my winning strategy, right? And the boarding school that I went to, there was no speaking up. And I was someone who was very outspoken. And because I was outspoken, I got punished. And then they sort of, how do I say this? Squeeze a certain sense of myself out of me because I finally got to the point where I bent the knee and said, look, me speaking up is no longer worth it. These people aren't going to hear me. Um, because if I feel like something is unfair, I want to say something. Right. And if things don't make sense to me, I want to be able to question this rule. I want to be able to question this idea because if things make sense to me, I will hop in the right lane you want me to. If things don't make sense to me, I feel like I have a right to question what's going on. And yeah. I think that was viewed as arrogance. And I think that was viewed as me being difficult. Like, just do what everyone else is doing. And, you know, when I got in the ninth grade, that was very difficult for me to do. Very, very difficult. Because oh, yeah. I was individuating into my own character, getting my own sense of self, wanting to push back. And when you live in a student home with 15 other boys, uh, when you push back too much, the house parents are a little worried that the other ones are going to start pushing back against the system, right? Right, right. And so um, I had to learn to close my throat and clench my jaw mm. and tighten my abdomen. And I did that. I did that for four years. And that takes a toll severely. And that takes a toll, right? Because Oh, yeah. Now I'm not speaking out. So now I'm leave, I leave the boarding school and now I'm, um, how do I say this? I'm overly contained and overly controlled mm. and too stoic in situations that would warrant some tears. I'm clinching even harder to disallow this emotion and this upset and this frustration to come out. And when you do that too often, too much you start to get hard inside mm. from all the clinching and the stuffing and the clinching and the stuffing and you take on the strategy of avoiding rocking the boat because when i rocked the boat i got punished in which podcasting mm. is great for me now because guess what there's no one who's going to hold my hand to a fire and tell me to shut up <laughs> Right. There's no one that's going to, because how are you going to do that? I'm my own right. man. Right. And so, right. from all the work that I've been doing, meaning the reduction of stress, the reduction of tension, the reduction of distortion, 
the reduction of pain, a reduction of toxicity. I feel free to be able to speak into existence what I think has value. And so that's why I'm happy that there's people like you in the world that are hosting people like me to go, hey, I think you have something valuable to say. I think you have something valuable to share. And it's every day that I get on a podcast with someone like you, it's a win for me for all the times that I had to close my throat, tighten my abdomen, and clinch my jaw. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Okay. So you talk about piled up stress causes severe and traumatic damage over time. And you have a name for this called strama. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Yeah. Let, let's make a subtle distinction. And, and I think yeah. this is good. Um, there was no term in the dictionary to speak of the effects of long, slow onset of stress and what it produced. But what I realized through uh, my life process and waking up my body is that you could have blunt force trauma, meaning you're running the Marine Marathon and somebody accidentally kicks the back of your foot, that goes to the other side of your leg and you trip, right? And you hit your jaw on a curb, right? right. That's blunt force trauma. Right. That's going to create an immediate intense amount of stress imprinted in your nervous system. Yep. And if you don't take that out, what's going to happen is four or five years from now, you're going to wake up one morning and you're not going to be able to open your jaw. Right. Or you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to go to turn your head to the left and it's not going to move. Okay. The same is true for a lengthy onset of stress. So you're in a job. It's requiring you to work 60 hours a week, 20 more hours than you can handle energetically or emotionally. And then Nine years later, you go to, you bend over to tie your shoes and you can't get off the floor because a disc has slipped. And so I wanted to create a term that allowed people to understand that unresolved stress plus time will create what's called trauma, right? Stress plus time. Stress so plus instead time. of trauma, right? Trauma is like a one-time event, right? Right. You're you're at school, and you know this girl is standing in your way, and you say, "Excuse me, I'm trying to go around you." She's like, "What?" And she hauls off and she punches you in the face, right? That's again blunt force trauma. That's a one-time event. So most people think about trauma in the sense of a one-time event. Right. Well, there has to be a way of explaining trauma over a long period of time. So let's say you're a young woman, you grow up in a household with a mother who's insecure, and she's constantly pointing out all of your faults. Right. Well, guess what? By the time you go to college, your shoulders are going to be up around your ears. Right. And your shoulders are going to push forward because you're doing everything that you can to put protection around your heart 
so that you can neutralize the negative projections of your mom, right? Right. And so stress plus time creates structural distortion. What I mean by that is this. When you have stress coming into the body, same type of stress over and over and over and over again, the body starts to get tense. And then that tension then creates structural distortion. Why? Because all muscles that are attached to tendons that attach those muscles to bones. So when the belly of the muscle gets too short, it now holds the bone above and the bone below in a fixed position. And then now that's in a fixed position, it creates an intense amount of stress on your joints. And then before you know it, a person's like, ah, I have tennis elbow, or I have runner's knee, or I have plantar fasciitis, or I've got a tight back, or I got a stiff neck. And the thing about the body is this, is by the time you feel pain, pain is the last indicator that something is wrong. Most people make the assumption that pain is the first indicator. So if you're wow. listening... To this podcast, I want, I'm going to say this again for you, because it will show up at some point for everyone. At some point, you will feel pain in your life. And that pain that you're feeling, whether it's emotional, whether it's psychological, whether it's experienced as exhaustion, or structural joint pain, that is the last indicator to you that something is wrong. And what it simply means is you've had a high level of unresolved stress and tension and distortion for a decade or more. Mm. Wow. You know, I can really relate to that when you said tennis elbow, because I play a lot of tennis and it showed up as golfer's elbow for me, which is on the other side of your forearm. And it's actually quite worse than tennis elbow because everything you do with your hand and moving your hand, and it's my dominant hand, you use this tendon down here, and these all of these muscles. It wasn't until I went to a chiropractor who said, wait a second, you were an ice skater growing up. You probably fell a lot like this on your hands. He started looking at my wrist and I have this, some sort of joint or bone that keeps getting, I can actually hear it clicking. Mm -hmm. that I probably did when I was seven years old, right? Yeah. yeah. And so all these years later, this is how it's showing yeah. up is in yeah. this. And so, um, yeah, but th that's so, I hope you people hear that, that the pain is the is not the first indicator that something's wrong. It is the last indicator that something's wrong. That's right. And that is worth repeating over and over and over because I think that I know even myself, I, I may have heard that along the way, but now it really sunk in for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the way that I say it is um, it's to make it very loud, right? Mm -hmm. And I add a lot of context to the distilled insights that I have that I picked up along the way. Another thing for people to understand is, is that it takes a little bit of time. Okay. And yet you have to have the right tool for the right job. Right. And when we're talking about pain in the body, the right tool is 
eccentric contractions. If you're talking about pain in the emotional body and anxiety, the right tool is breath work. Yes. If you're talking about psychological pain, the right tool is recognizing your brain into positive thought and talk therapy. If you're talking about spiritual pain, exhaustion, it's looking at your life and how you're operating in terms of your ethics, your morals, your values, and your integrity and your principles. And if you're able to look at those and you're able to be more integrous, more ethical, uh, more moral, uh, and increase your values, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get more energy because all energy comes through the spirit body. See, it exists outside of you and then comes to the inside. Most people think your energy emanates from within and then goes out. Actually, no, it comes from the outside in and then you have energy to operate from. And so wherever you're operating with a distorted level of function at a spiritual level, it will, it will, how do I say this? It will drain your core energy. And so everyone alive has a place where they're off, right? They know it, their loved ones know it. It takes a lot of courage to be able to look in the mirror and go, hey, um, we got a problem, Houston. Let's yeah. find someone who can help. And I get it because it took me a long time to ask for help. Women naturally are more willing to ask for help because their, their feminine energy is more receptive, right? Yes, yeah. Right, male energy is naturally more assertive. And this is why a woman has a vagina, right? Mm -hmm. And a male has a phallic uh, appendage, right? Right. The woman's body opens and the male enters. Right. Uh, and there's no suggestion here of what I'm saying that all relationships are supposed to be um, man to woman, woman to man. Okay. Right. I, other people have different orientations. So I'm explaining it this way for the purpose of understanding the difference between masculine energy and feminine energy. Feminine right. energy is actually more receptive. Mm -hmm. And because it's more receptive, women are more willing to reach out for help. If you go to a chiropractor, they have more female clients. You go to acupuncturist, they have more female clients. You go to massage therapist, they have more female clients. If you go to a talk therapy session, they have more female clients. Why? Because women are open to letting people come in and see where they're fractured, where they're disengaged, where they're disconnected, where they're separate from self. That's yeah. more difficult for men because the three states of being that we've leaned on the most as men has been producing, providing, and protecting. Right. So if I take myself off duty of protection, who's going to protect? And so I'll deal with the pain and the discomfort by going more stoic. And the more mm -hmm. stoic I become, the more pain that I store. Yeah. Well, it's in the DNA. It's in our DNA as yeah. men and women. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so for sure. 
rewiring yourself so that you can have a balance between the two is the best bet, right? Because 99.9% .9 of all humans operate out of what's called a lateralized state of electrical function in their brain, which essentially means one hemisphere is turned on, excuse me, and the other hemisphere is turned off. Okay. So again, that's 99.9% .9 of all humans. So anyone who's listening on the call, if I laid you on the table, I could measure whether or not one hemisphere of your brain was turned on electrically and the other one was off. And then I could walk you through a process within five minutes and show you that both hemispheres of your brain are now turned on. So when one hemisphere is turned on and the other one is turned off, what it simply means is that the person is locked into an inappropriate stress state. And those inappropriate stress states, they have names, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And everyone has one. So when you look at the four worlds, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, when you look at fight, Fight belongs to the physical world because the physical body's okay going into confrontation. Right. Light is relative to the mental world, which is where fear emanates from. Okay. Fawning is through the emotional world. Okay. Hmm. And then freezing is through the spiritual world, meaning the energetic spiritual body. Right. And once you understand how you express yourself through those fight or flight states, it gives you an opportunity to seek out help in one of those worlds where someone can give you some relief, teach you a tool, give you a practice that you can engage in on a semi-regular basis to now shift out of that inappropriate stress state and create a successful pattern interrupt so that you can now move through the world the quiet mind, the comfortable body, with grounded emotions, and an abundant level of energy all the time. Wow. And can you just explain how you do this? Yeah. So basically yeah. what happens is I see people in like a five-day process, right? So okay. they fly in from somewhere around the world. Uh, my office is in Los Angeles. And First, we do a deep investigation to see why they're really here, right? People come in and they have some symptom and they think that's the reason why they're really there. Well, really, the symptom is the hook, right? That's, that's, that's the worm at the end of the hook. It's the bait. Mm -hmm. And then once they're in there, I investigate them and I ask them some very basic, simple questions and we get down to what's really driving them in life and what they really want. And once I know that, and I understand the, the two strongest or three strongest negative projections they have against their mom and their dad, it's very easy for me to begin to figure out where to start with this person. Because words are forms of intelligence and they have a very particular vibration to them, right? right. So if, if yes. you or I were to walk into a grocery store right now and there was a woman walking down the aisle and we yelled at the top of our lungs you're an f and c right, right. everyone every woman in the store would stop right 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 and her nervous system would enter into some level of fight or flight 
Some of them are going to be angry. Some of them are going to be shivering inside. Some of them are going to want to leave the grocery store immediately. And then, you know, other ones are going to want to calm the person down, right? And when you have these states and you start to use your breath and particular types of movement where you're using high levels of resistance, you start to pull the tension out of the belly of the muscle. And when the tension is pulled out of the belly of the muscle, the distortion in the posture changes immediately and instantaneously. And now the person has access to a great state of calm and peace and inner stillness in a way that they've never felt before. Because the research that I've been doing for the last 23 and a half years shows that whether you're seven years old or you're 77, the average human is at about 86% of their maximal saturation of stress, tension, and distortion. And how do we know that this is true? The way that we know this is true is in the United States, it's May, we've already had 203 mass shootings. Mm -hmm. In order for someone to walk into a building or room and shoot people that they don't know, that takes an intense level of psychological and emotional distortion. You can't get to intense levels of psychological and emotional distortion without first having an intense amount of tension. And you can't have an intense amount of tension if you don't have an intense amount of unresolved generational stress that's coming yes. through the epigenetics and the genetics that's at a minimum of 14 generations old. Wow. So when we look and we see this, these um these mass shootings all we have to do is drop back 200 years and you know 150 years and think about cowboys right <laughs> you could be riding through the forest and some guy comes through with his horse and he accidentally bumps your horse and you're like hey man what's going on and he's like well you got a problem and he shoots you in the back, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, like, like when, let, let's go back two thousand years when when the Romans were roaming the earth, okay, and raping and pillaging, and pushing mm -hmm. forth what they thought was their right, and yeah. they were killing, beheading, murdering, raping, stealing, and capturing things that didn't belong to them, kidnapping people. Okay, these, these ways of functioning were standard operating procedures across the planet. Right. And so when you look at the genetics and the epigenetics, you have to understand that these things have been passed on. So when you're looking at mass shootings, you can't go, oh, I wonder what happened in their life that caused them to do that. You need to go back and sift through 14 generations, right? And then you're going to start to see some very deeply entrenched patterns of dysfunction at a psychological level, at emotional level, at a physiological structural level, and at an energetic spiritual level. And the question is, what can we do in order 
to make sure that these kinds of decisions are no longer being made in the future. And I know there's a lot of intensity around guns and other, but the truth is guns don't kill people. No. People kill people. Kill people, people, kill people. Yes. When they're stressed. Think about this. When you turn on some of these TV shows every once in a while, uh, you'll see they have these murder investigation shows. And usually it comes back that somebody killed somebody that they know, that they feel that they did them wrong or some way, or they had something that they wanted. Right. And there's no suggestion of me condoning that, but I just want you to take a breath and sit back and think about this for a second. When people kill people they know, there's an emotional level of karma and stress that's going on between these two people. When someone walks into a mall in like they did in Texas and shoots able-bodied strangers that they don't know, we're talking there's a level of stress that's existing on the planet right now that humans have never experienced before. Right. And we've got to do something. And so if you're a listener, um, what I want to suggest for you is do everything that you can to diminish your stress load by 10% in the next 365 days. And how do you do that? That's really the question that you were asking earlier. So I wanted to build a lot of context out uh, before we went into solutions. What you can do is you can go to a sound bath class, okay? Sound bath class, a singing bowl class. That'll start to help an acupuncturist. Uh, that will start to shift your energetics you can start to remove physical tension from the body um, you can find an alphabiotist and get an alignment you can do what you did you can get some consistent chiropractic care um, you got to do something because it's easy to pick up a newspaper it's easy to pick up your phone it's easy to turn on the news to get into your news feed. It's easy to get on the internet, watch some YouTube videos. Rather than watch, take action. And the action yeah. that you got to take is to bring your emotional body and your mental body and your physical body back into some semblance of balance. And if a small group of people decided to remove 10% of that tension and that stress and that distortion, the world would become a safer place overnight because who wants to go to the mall right now? <laughs> right. That's right. Literally. Who literally wants to take their kids and their wife to the mall to go shopping. Right. And so in a certain way, what you have to understand is when people were locked behind closed doors for the pandemic, what happened is now humans are enslaving themselves to put themselves behind closed doors. Because if people are afraid to go to restaurants, if people are afraid to go to laundromats, if people are afraid to go to grocery stores, if people are afraid to go to movie theaters, okay? 
And these are the places, if people are afraid to go to the synagogue or the church, and this is where these mass shootings are happening, mm -hmm. what does it mean? It means that humans will spend more time in isolation. So we were in a state of forced isolation. And I think some people believe for a good purpose and other people believe it was nonsense. And whatever your view is on that, that's your view. Well, what you have to look out look at is the outcome of that so before the pandemic there was only a certain level of mass shootings okay and there's no suggestion that those mass shootings were acceptable okay but there was only a certain number since the pandemic it has increased exponentially so yes. what does that mean it means that every result that is experienced has to have a catalyst right that's trackable and sensible and if you look back and you go, can you stick humans behind closed doors for 16 to 18 months, isolate them so they have very little social connection, and then pump intense amounts of fear into them and think that 18 months later, there's going to be no acting out? Because it's one thing to have stress that what we would call like your average day stress and then have an outlet to get rid of it. But what happened is people went under an extreme stress load and they had no way of getting rid of it. And now we're getting to see the outcome of that stress. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, so, that's, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So, so by December, we're already at 203 by May 6th. By at that number, right? Because it's increasing exponentially, we'll be somewhere between 440 and 500 mass shootings. So that's a minimum of 10 for every state. Oh. Okay. Now you think yeah. about that. All right. And the disruption that that's creating in people's lives. And the reality is it only leads back to one thing unresolved lifetime accumulated stress mm. that yeah. is the absolute cause if you interfere with that stress load you're going to have an immediate reduction in depression you're going to have an immediate reduction in anger anger-based actions would be like mass shootings you're going to have an immediate reduction in pornography you're going to have an immediate reduction in addiction to alcohol nicotine caffeine, pharmaceutical, and recreational drugs. And if wow. every human does their part to reduce their own lifetime accumulated stress load by 5 or 10%, the world changes into a safe place overnight. Wow. Well, that's a good place for us to pivot because... We've, we could talk for so long about this and it's just been such an incredible enlightening conversation. And I really believe everything that you're saying um, because I've experienced it myself, a lot of it. Yeah. 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 So Christopher, such a delight to talk to you. Um, I'd love to have you back on at some point. Yeah, we, we have so much where we again. can go. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we can get into a lot of stuff. You know, There's I've been... so much we can talk about developing content for 23 and a half years that's all unique right never been yeah. heard of before i haven't heard of this and before very mm. 
powerful and impactful. Yeah, for sure. So where can people get a hold of you if they want to learn can, more? Yeah, people can get a hold of me at truebodyintelligence.com. Okay. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, there's True Body Intelligence. If you want to go to Facebook, there's True Body Intelligence. If you want to go to the YouTube channel, I'll be putting up podcasts and videos and information so that people can start to get an education because without a proper education around stress, there's no way to make an informed decision that's to your benefit. It's impossible to take heartfelt action to the benefit of yourself and those that you care for without the proper amount of information and education. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, check out Christopher at truebodyintelligence.com. We'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. And thank you so much. This has been such a, a great, you know, it's episodes like this where I feel like it's truly like a public service announcement because this is just information <laughs> that like, like people really need to hear this. Yeah. You really yeah. need to hear this yeah. for sure. So can, for sure. can I share one more thing? Please do. Okay. I wrote a book. It's called Free oh. for Life, A Navy SEAL's Unique Path to Inner Freedom and Outer Peace. It's available on Amazon. If you want to read the book, the soft cover and hardcover, or you can go to my website. If you love audiobooks, you can order the book at truebodyintelligence.com. And then I go very deep into the information I'm giving you. Oh, fantastic. We'll definitely check that out. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and keep doing what you're doing. The world needs more people like you, Christopher. <laughs> oh, look at We're going full circle. Thank full you. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. I certainly hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.